we are trying to change this paper pencil based neural rehabilitation that mm -hmm. people do and trying to revolutionize it with virtual reality. Because when people have this cognitive decline, um, they are not able to do the normal everyday stuff that mm -hmm. is normal for you and me, like going to the supermarket, reading your favorite book, um, going to the bakery or so, because they are getting lost on the way, they forget what they wanted to buy, they can't concentrate after five minutes reading their book, they can't work anymore. Well, hello, hello, it's DeAndre here and this is the Pioneers Show, the show where we talk with innovators, makers, entrepreneurs, basically people who are trailing their own trails and creating their own lives, so that we all can learn how to work on our own lives. This is episode 11 and I'm your host, André de Albuquerque. You can find me at It's DeAndre on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as the show at Pioneers Show on Instagram as well. In this episode, we have with us Barbara Stegman, the co-founder of Living Brain, a VR startup that is focusing on helping people that have been facing mental troubles in the areas of cognition mainly. We talk about mental health issues, physical issues, and how VR can be a great way to help people get a better therapy, as well as a multitude of different aspects of mental rehabilitation. I really had a great time talking with Barbara, and I hope you get a chance to know more about her as well. So, let's welcome to the Pioneers Show, Barbara Stegman. Welcome to the show, Barbara. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. I'm glad to be here. Thank uh, you. <laughs> I'm very glad that you're here, and thank you so much for taking the time and coming to Berlin. I know that it was not necessarily just for this, but I'll take it. <laughs> so, for people back at home who don't know who you are, care to give us a presentation? Um, short one, yeah. I'm, I'm 24. I'm originally from Hanover. Um, I'm living in South Germany in the beautiful city of Heidelberg um, for the last two, no, four years, I think. Um, I studied psychology, did my bachelor degrees, and I'm co-founder of Living Brain. Okay, so let's jump right into Living Brain. What is it? Living Brain is... Uh, a startup that focuses on virtual reality-based neuro-rehabilitation. Sounds really complicated, I know. It's a mouthful. So virtual reality, yeah. neuro-rehabilitation. Right. Okay, what is it? Um, we have currently in Germany 4.2 million people who are suffering because of cognitive decline. And this cognitive decline um, happens because of different illnesses um, or accidents. Um, and we are focusing on four, let's say, illnesses. Um, epilepsy, traumatic brain injury, um, neurosurgery because of brain tumors, mm -hmm. and mild cognitive impairment, which is kind of a preform of dementia. Dementia, okay. And is Alzheimer's eventually going to... I, I, I don't know anything about this. I know that there are diseases and neurological diseases. But. Yeah, we're not focusing on dementia or Alzheimer's. Okay. Um, we're just focusing on a kind of pre-phase of it. Okay. That's called mild cognitive impairment. Okay. And um, these people are currently treated with giving them papers um, and uh, just like paper or pencil and telling them, well, um, you see 10 numbers, have a look on it. You have 10 seconds. And after that, you are going to tell me these 10 numbers and try to memory or remember everything. 
And people are doing that. And that should help them to um, get a better concentration or a better attention because that's what cognitive decline means. It means that you have problems with cognitions. But when you say cognitions, is it um, just concentration? It's, mem it's memorization? Is it what, what other things can be impaired by these kinds of diseases? Or? It's a lot. It's um, orientation, um, your ability to have attention for things. Um, it's your, it can be your abilities to speak. Um, it can be your ability to recognize people. Mm -hmm. So it's a bunch of things that can happen. Okay, and what, in, so let's assume that living brain, it, let's take it, first of all a very business approach. Your clients are therapists, are hospitals, where are you, who are your clients? That's kind of complicated maybe mm -hmm. um, because um, we are um, also focusing on clinics and physicians, mm -hmm. but of course also on patients because okay. just to... Um, just to complete it, um, we're trying to change this paper-pencil-based neurorehabilitation that mm -hmm. people do and trying to revolutionize it with virtual reality. Because when people have this cognitive decline, um, they are not able to do the normal everyday stuff that mm -hmm. is normal for you and me, like going to the supermarket, reading your favorite book, um, going to the bakery or so, because they are getting lost on the way, they forget what they wanted to buy, they can't concentrate after five minutes reading their book, they can't work anymore. Um, and that's what happen what's happening to people um, in the age of 35 or 20 R or really? 40. Or, yeah, it's 4.2 million people in Germany. And that's something we think couldn't happen, shouldn't happen. 4.2, so there there are, I think it's 88 million people in Germany? 80, 82, I think, 82 million. 82 and, and 4.2? 4.2, every year. Every year, let's assume that they don't die in between, so it's the same people, but yeah, give or take, some more in the middle. So 4.2 million people every uh, in, in Germany alone yeah. suffer from either early on stage dementia, you said um, epilepsy, Trauma in Tra cognitive... Traumatic brain injuries. That's what might happen after a car accident or so. When your head gets mm -hmm. um, damaged. Like a concussion damaged. or something like yeah. that. Oh, wow. I didn't know there were that many in, in Germany. Yeah, traumatic brain injury is the number one uh, cause for a reason for death for people under 45. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, That's so, crazy. So, okay, so you said you have both, the, a platform is both built for the patients, but also for the physicians and the therapists and the, the clinics. Yeah. Let's see on the clinic side first. Is it, what do you have there? So I'm a clinic, I'm a, uh, a physician and I'm using Living Brain with you that you're my, my, my patient. So it depends on if you're working in a clinic. Mm -hmm. If you're working in a clinic, um, you might give your patients virtual reality exercises. Mm -hmm. um, if you're having your um, kind of own practice, practice, yeah, mm -hmm. um, your own independent pra independent practice. For example, yeah, um, you'll get it only a software. 
um, where you can monitor the process, um, the exercises, um, the symptoms of your patients, and they are using the VR glasses and the exercises at home. We want to bring the rehabilitation to living rooms. And is the is the VR glass part of your part of your service, or you just simply is it an app, a mobile app that you use on with Google Cardboard, no, or HTC, or is it is it your? We are we are sending it to the people, giving it to really? them. Really? Yeah. Um, and after um, they trained for three four months or so, mm -hmm. um, they are sending it back. Oh, really? That's yeah. that's courageous. Yeah, we think. Um, it's necessary because uh, we can't think about people having a VR glass just for that. Mm -hmm. They are expensive. Maybe they don't know how to do that. And of course, we need to focus on one technical device to um, prepare the perfect application and to build the perfect application for that one device. Mm -hmm. So um, that's why we're sending a whole package to these people. We want to make it as easy as possible. So the patient gets um, a package with a VR glasses where the application is already on mm -hmm. uh, or, in, or installed as you ever went, or as you went. Um, and the physician gets the software to monitor the process. Mm, okay. If you're in a clinic, you of course get both. You get the VR glasses, the exercises and the software. You, yeah. you can do the exercises there as well, but if you have an independent practice, it's better if the person also can train at home. And, and yeah. What kind of exercise are is it flashcard kind of thing? Is it movement? What kind of exercises are you are you using usually on a depending? I assume it depends on the the pathology itself. Um, it depends on what the person needs, of course, mm -hmm. uh, because it doesn't make any sense to make attention uh, exercises if you have the inability to remember something. Um, so of course that depends, but we're in the first way, focusing on everyday exercises like going to the supermarket, for example. So you're standing in virtual reality in the supermarket um, and you get a grocery list. Mm -hmm. um, you have time to, to read it mm -hmm. that you can, so that you can remember what's, what's on it. And after that, you're closing it and looking around in the supermarket and just um, Taking off everything select the things you should buy. And we are tracking how long do you take, how many faults do you make, um, feedback, which were, what, what, what was your problem, mm -hmm. um, how many times had you asked again for the grocery list or so, just to make sure that we can um, adapt the exercises. So, so to adapt the exercises, but I mean, even for a normal person with no brain trauma, sometimes remembering a shopping list is hard. That's why people write them and are able to continuously check them. How do you define when it's normal forgetting versus the, the pathology that they're suffering from? There's um, a scientific number of things that you should remember, mm -hmm. well, that you should be able to remember. Um, and of course, we are at first just um, trying to make that person, to, to enable that person to remember something. Mm -hmm. um, because if I would give you a grocery list with five items and you oh, would read it for one minute, you probably would remember what you read. Probably. Yeah. Um, probably, and but, but probably by the time I get to the supermarket, 
if I'm listening to music or listening to anything else, I might I might forget one of them. Maybe, maybe. That's not at least with me. That's not unnatural. That's true. Um, but, but, but once again, but I'm not trying to recover from anything. So I'm thinking about anything, everything else. If I'm thinking of recovering myself, probably I will spend more than a minute looking at it and behave with the idea of I want to do this. If I want to do go to the supermarket, it's a trivial. You're not action. thinking about remembering it because you're not um, you're not fearing to forget anything, and it's just. Um, First, um, it has also to do with orientation in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, if you would see something that you have on your grocery list, you would remind that you wanted to buy it. Yes. And that's also something we want to train. Like to, um, to uh, see, see it again, to recognize mm -hmm. that, you, that you had it before in mind. Yeah, that's something that I think in terms of memorization, once again, I believe that normal people and I won't say that those people are not normal people, but are just people with a trauma or any kind of pathology. I think that when I have a list to do and I forget one of them, if someone tells me, ah, that's it. Yeah. And it's the same thing. If I saw if I saw the cookies, ah, there they yeah. are. This is the, the thing that I was saying. And that's what we're thinking about. And these kinds of trainings, so there are trainings. So you're re rehearsing, doing specific set of things so that the brain relearns how to do them. Is that it? Um, the basis of it is called uh, neuronal plasticity. Mm -hmm. um, it's the ability of the brain to change. Um, kind of the basis to uh, the, the the basic um, thing to learn something. So when you are studying and you're learning something, um, you can remember it because of neuronal plasticity. Mm -hmm. Your brain changes. Um, and when you overstimulate the brain, you're going to le learn faster. Um, and VR, so virtual reality, overstimulates the brain. That's the first point. Um, and secondly, it's that after um, kind of, some, for example, um, a brain injury, traumatic brain injury, um, there's a critical phase. And this phase, um, the neuronal plasticity is bigger than afterwards. And that's the second problem that um, we have in our healthcare system in Germany. People are often um, not getting neurorehabilitation right after the accident. It's, sometimes it's just too late. It's outside of the critical phase. And you could have done way more if you started earlier. But that doesn't stop you from learning. It's just that the amount of hours and work that you have to put into it, it's just delayed or bigger because you're not in the bigger phase of neuro neural plasticity? I, I think that's hard to, um, to say because um, I think it depends on. For some people, um, it might be possible that they are never um, getting that far as they could have gone if they started earlier. You'll never know, right? Yeah, and I mm -hmm. think that depends on the case. So once again, so you're basically doing these set of, set of trainings and basically, let's assume a brain trauma or any other disease. Can you get, get me, besides the brain trauma, because I think that's self-explanatory, there was a blow, there was something that happened. What happens that makes you lose, for example, memorization? Okay, even back, what's memorization? In scientifically speaking, what is memorization? It is um, in the brain. Mm -hmm. um, it is a part, um, it's the temporal lobe mm -hmm. that's um, here in the front right 
No, that's parietal. Ah, okay. um, so or frontal. Um, it's temporal lobe is on the side. Okay, the temporal. Left and right, yeah. Um, and there is everything that has to do with um, with uh, memory. And often uh, things in this area get damaged. So you're damaged. You are. You have damage either by epilepsy or dementia or something. That there's. Yeah. Is there a lack of uh, neurons changing information? Is there any kind of deficiency in terms of electricity going on? What's happening there that makes you don't understand? That's hard to say because uh, some people have sclerosis there, mm -hmm. um, so there's nothing really happening anymore. Some oh, people really? have nothing happening. Yeah, of That's course, of course, hard yeah. said, but um, other people have just. Um, kind of uh, the synapses are cut mm -hmm. kind of just um other people's had bleedings um that why that's why parts of the brain were just um damaged because of mm -hmm. the bleedings um then there are people that uh, didn't have enough blood in this area so that's why the cells uh, died so it's it's hard to say you, I, I can't tell Dep you depends on it the depends the on the case so can and this is once again my lack of knowledge on the psychology and these kinds of problems but can so is the symptom or not the symptom can a symptom be a, be directed to several different pathologies so for example you said there's lack of lack of blood can react or can generate a symptom but can symptom but can that symptom be the same for sclerosis or schizophrenia or epilepsy? Can you see a symptom and say, I cannot know what this is because this can mean several, thi several things? Did I explain myself right? I don't know. Um, I think I was a little bit confusing. It's, it's like you can have, just give it an example. Um, you can have a kind of memory loss or problems with um, remembering things. Mm -hmm. um, and that can happen because of epilepsy, because of a damage in the temporal lobe. But the damage can be because of a traumatic brain injury or because of epilepsy or because of um, a tumor resection. So the same, the same thing that is happening can be caused by several different yeah. things. Yeah. Oh, I think then that's the, the, the weirdest part about psychology and any kind of things that neural treatments. I think, can you have a definite is there a way to tr not treat but test to have a definite reaction, definite response to a, what is causing a specific problem? What do you mean? For example, uh, let's use the lack of memory, the capability mm -hmm. to memorize something. Can you just, there was something, there's someone that's trying to get very forgetful and not forgetful, I forgot to bring my phone, but I don't know who you are, I don't know my name, mm -hmm. I don't know what, where I am, I don't know my that name. That would be a hard form of it yeah okay okay so but that's usually i, I know that this usually is uh, with alzheimer's or dementia. yeah that's nothing that we treat treat okay yeah. so what's the easiest part of lack of memorization i don't know where um, i was going i'm going to the shop and i forgot and went home it's let's let's say it's um that, that's hard to say it's just we can say epilepsy if you want Really? Or you can say, yeah, it depends on it. Depends on which part of the brain is destroyed. You can mm -hmm. say traumatic brain injury. That's uh, or a tumor resection in this part. Hmm. Then uh, once again, this is these are all questions out of curiosity because I have no knowledge, and these are some things that I just want to know. So going back to living brain. So 
you're presenting them with specific VR experiences yeah. that help them cope with what they're going through and eventually treat them, right? That's true. So I had a question and we'll go back to the treatment, but I, I, I told you beforehand that I had a question about athletes. Now that I have a little bit more information, I think these, this question might not be necessarily the best, but if you're training the capability of memorization, you can also be training the capability of reacting to certain stimuli, right? I assume that brain, brain, not brain tumor, but brain trauma can also tell you if someone's lost the ability of moving certain par parts or be able to react mm -hmm. faster. Do you also treat that? Uh, like movements. I don't want movements, but for example, you're you're seeing something and there's a light. Your pupil dilates, and your your let's assume that your first reaction is to lift up your arm. Yeah. Do you also know if the treat the, the reaction time is slow or something like that? Um, that's currently not something that we're doing because okay. we're not working with sensors. Okay, so it's more on the visual side. And yeah. Okay. Okay, because one of the questions that I had for athletes is. Is there any way of training that on a VR experience? And this is more on a conceptual level with you. If you train someone to be able to react quicker on a therapy basis, you can also maybe train someone to react quicker on a, on a, an athlete's environment to be react quicker on a competitive scale. Is this possible? I think it is. Um, I think it is possible because of, um, when you think about uh, doing sports, mm -hmm. um, the more often you train it, you'll faster you get, the faster you get. Mm -hmm. So, and and that's why I think it's it's possible um, to do that because um, everything that you are learning, um, when it, also when it comes to movements, is connected to your brain. So something will change in your brain when it when you do it more often, um, and the connection between your your brain and your hands, for example, mm -hmm. for your hand movement, um, will get better. So I think you're able to train that, yeah, but we're not doing it. Yeah, you're Not yet. One day. <laughs> one day, guys, just to let you know that Living Brain will be, you'll be learning about Living Brain everywhere you go. <laughs> so going back to the treatment and uh, the therapy specifically, what, are you already working with any Physicians, are you already using this on the, let's call it, real world? Um, we're not using it because mm -hmm. we're kind of in an early stage. Mm -hmm. um, but we have corporations with uh, several clinics, mm -hmm. um, like the University Clinic of Heidelberg, um, mm -hmm. also the University Clinic of Göttingen, for example. Um, and that's where we are working uh, together with them to do first studies um, with our first exercise and the first thing that we are doing, our first product, just uh, to make sure that we have a scientific proof for what we are doing. Because of course, um, we're not just want to throw it on the market and just yeah, let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, but we want to test it and to make sure that it really helps because there are a lot of things on the market um, where people telling you that helps when you have cognitive disabilities, it will be great, da, 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 and nothing happens in the end. And that's not something that we want to do. And so right now you're doing testing, you're testing with these universities and university departments to make sure that the results of the therapy that you're providing through virtual reality have 
real application in the real world. Yeah, it? we're going to uh, do the studies in the next month. Next month, okay. In the next month, yeah. Okay. We're preparing for that right now. Please, whenever you do, uh, send me a message or something so we can share here in the Pioneer Show. We don't have a lot of following, but I think it's always important to know what everyone's doing. And I th do you think that... I would, actually, I would like to know what kind of things you can do because I don't know if this is an application for this specific set of things, but I think that for people with brain trauma or brain problems, it's very important to know what, are, what else is going out there because sometimes they just do therapy, they do gyms. Yeah. Uh, I'll do it for brain trauma more specifically. I think they do gym, they have a nurse, they help them, but outside of that, usually they don't have a lot of hope unless they say, hey, you have a new treatment, a new ideal treatment in Cuba, you have something happening A, B, or C. So do you think that, I would really would like to know whenever you do those tests because I'm really interested and in be able to share this with more people that might be suffering yeah. through these conditions. That's um, the reason why we are testing it and why we are went to do it in the most scientific, specific way mm -hmm. uh, possible. Um, because we are, we, we have seen so many exercises, so many people who are promising that this will work and the most things just don't. And we think that it's um, not, um, not a good way to bring something to the market when you know that it doesn't help people and you're giving them hopes and you're making money and nothing happens and that's something we want to change and that's something that's for me uh, personally so important because I'm, I'm really getting angry when I read stuff like that. And I think that in, in the, the main problem for me, and not a problem, but the, the thing that I think gets more people excited on the bad way, what grinds people's gears is that I think that the health startup, health tech world has so much promise to deliver on actually solving real problems, not necessarily a nap for photography, a nap for mobility like Uber. I'm not saying Uber is bad, but solving a real life health issue yeah. is a little bit more important on my than, than on, this luxury stuff. It's something it's, it's kind you can of walk. it's cool. You yeah. can you can spend less time on a subway, you can not take a cab, but if you have someone with a real issue that cannot live with himself anymore or cannot do some things that made that person independent. And the, the main thing is that usually people get so excited with health startups. For example, you have the big example of Theranos. Have you ever heard, ever heard, ever heard of Theranos? Theranos was a startup that was, I think it was what, five years ago? I think it was five years ago. You had this woman called the next Steve Jobs. She, she also used the turtleneck that she was having. Oh, as, I think I heard of it. She was a blonde American woman that she, I think she got investment, I think around $2 billion wow. at one point without any product. I will have to fact fact check that. Uh, don't don't hold me on to that. But she was she was she had a startup on blood testing, I believe, that would be able to test out and be able to prevent something or to be able to know if someone had something. This mm -hmm. was five years ago, I think. Okay. And she, she, I think she's she's just been she's on the courts for fraudulent behavior or something like that because everyone was so excited on a business level because you would be able to change the world, but also on a health level. It's so important to know what's going on out there that people get excited. And please, once again, let me know if something is happening. I will do in that. Terms of tests, I will do that. In terms of tests. So what kind of tests are you doing to be able, are you going to be using already patients of these departments of university? What kind of tests will we be able to do? 
to ensure effectiveness of the product? First, we are going to start with um, a kind of um, possibility study. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's said in the right way, but um, first we are trying to, when we cooperate with the clinics, um, they are giving us, giving us mm -hmm. patients um, and we're giving them the VR glasses just to try. It's just put it on, try um, how it makes you feel, if you think that you would use it, that you can use it, that you're able um, to use a controller or so. Mm -hmm. um, and if that's positive, um, or better said, if we have the feedback and changed everything that wasn't good enough mm -hmm. um, or perfectly adapted, um, then we are going to do the second study, a pilot study. So we are giving the VR um, glasses with our exercise to people who have problems with that. Mm -hmm. um, and we are having, um, we are just having about 20 or 25 patients. For example, we are starting with University Clinic in Heidelberg. They are doing tumor resection, brain tumor resection. Mm -hmm. So we are giving it to 20, 25 people who are having cognitive decline after that um, and testing them before how their cognitive level looks like with uh, the normal psychological questionnaires. Mm -hmm. And we are going to test uh, or question them after that with the same psychological questionnaire. And of course, we are going to ask them uh, for their subjective um, opinion, if they think it helped, if they felt, feel mm -hmm. better, if that makes made them feel better, if there's something they want us to change. So, But that's still sub subjective. Is there any way to get objective data from those? Th that's what I said. Um, oh, the, the psychological questionnaire is objective. Uh, objective, sorry. What but, we are doing... Are you feeling better? That can be subjective, right? Um, we are doing both. We're giving them an objective questionnaire before and after, and we're asking them for their subjective opinion oh, okay, okay, because okay. we think that both is important. Of course. Yeah. And same goes for, for different, um, for the other diseases. Like we're trying to um, find out if, it, if it's able to help people um, in the intense care unit because of traumatic brain injury. People who are currently in coma, for example, after waking up directly. What I said before, um, it has to do with the critical phase mm -hmm. of the brain. So we are trying to get in, in that moment and giving all we can do to help these people. If I may ask, what triggered you and your co-founder to do this? Because as a psychology student, what made you go on to this specific area? I'll, I'll, we will go on to tech specifically, but what made you go into treating these people? What Was there any drive, any fam family history, any friend history, anything that you went through to, that made you, um, if it's too personal? Actually, no, I'm, I'm quite sure I can tell it. Um, actually, my, my co-founder um, and my best friend, <laughs> Julian, um, he suffered um, with epilepsy. Mm -hmm. for years um, and people and physicians and everyone tried to help him um, and he had uh, this he had these seizures for um, five six seven day uh, seven times every day he wasn't able to do anything he wasn't able to do, to go uh, swimming to um, ride bicycle because it was always very careful for him and he nearly died um, and 
After a time, the physicians just said, well, there's nothing more than we can do. No medication is really helping you. Um, nothing that we're doing psychological help because maybe it's psychological or so. Um, nothing helped because it was just, they said they, they can't help him, him anymore. They can't make it better. Um, and that's why he said, I don't want to live like that. I don't want my life looking like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why he underwent neurosurgery. And he had a sclerosis in his temporal lobe. And they were cutting it out. It was six centimeters big. And they what, were cutting it out. What's Okay, let's go a little bit. What's a sclerosis? Sclerosis is um, when... Do you know that when you're um, having a small accident with your bicycle or so? Um, I had a small bike accident two, two months ago. Um, <laughs> I, f I found a better word for it. Um, sclerosis is um, kind of scars in your brain. Okay. So it's um, a scar um, that... Scar tissue, something. Yeah, and um, it makes your brain not working as well as before. So your co-founder and your best friend, Julian, Julian, right? Julian, yeah. He had a big, let's call it scar tissue in his brain that was removed from his brain? Yeah, because um, he had focal seizures. It was focal epilepsy. That what means that, it means that, um, that, um, <laughs> means that um, the seizure comes from one point in your brain. There are gener generalized seizures, so they are coming from the whole brain. Mm -hmm. um, and when you have this focal um, epilepsy seizures, um, it's just coming from one part. And they cut out, they, they just found, they needed to find the part which is causing these seizures. Mm -hmm. And after finding it, they were cutting it out. How do you... Have how do you find where a seizure comes from? Is there, is there an MRI that figures... I mean, I assume you can find where the scar tissue is, but is the place of the scar usually the focus of the, the seizure? No, no. You have to um, use this um, this MRI and mm. EEG and so on um, to find this part, and you have to uh, give that person uh, the sensors on their head mm -hmm. um, and then wait until they have a seizure. And you have to do it more than one time to be sure. So you're just, um, as a patient, you're just staying in the hospital. Until you have a seizure. And the next one, and the next one. And, and you'll, um, in the worst cases, you're not getting your medication because, of course, they want to prov uh, provocate that you get a seizure. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And then you're, they are testing again and again and again to be sure that they found the right spot. And, and once again, sorry if this is going too personal, but when we say about uh, my idea of a seizure, it's that muscle contraction, blah, 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 mm -hmm. pro probably foaming, eyes rolled back. Is a focal seizure at any point any way different? Um, I think the picture of a seizure that we have in mind isn't um, always true. There are people who are foaming and shaking and so, but mm -hmm. there are also people who are just... Um, not moving they are just not moving for 30 seconds or they and, are just only only yeah it can be it can be it has there are so many ways of epilepsy so many forms of epilepsy there are people that only have seizures in the morning um so a lot of possibilities it can look like that 
Um, it, it's possible that people are having seizures for, for minutes. Um, so that maybe could be a grand mal seizure. Mm -hmm. That's um, something that is uh, dangerous for your life. Um, so it's, it's hard to say that seizures always look like this or look like that. Sometimes it's only five seconds. Sometimes it's one minute. And Depends depending on, on the seizure, the, the, the reaction, for example, one question that I always had, is a seizure painful? Um, normally not. People are unconscious while they're having a seizure. Really? Most people are not even um, getting anything in that moment. They, after that, they are not able to remember what happened while uh, they had the seizure. That's not for everyone because seizures are really an individual's, uh, individual thing. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, most people I talked to said they are not able to remember everything, anything after that. Uh, go going a little back, so your, your co-founder had a brain surgery and you guys both decided to start figuring out how to treat these, these patients. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. He was, um, before his, uh, his surgery, he was asking his, patient, uh, his physicians um, what would happen after that with his cognitions, because of course it was the temporal lobe. It was the part of for memory. Mm -hmm. um, and he was studying at that moment. Um, and he asked the physicians um, what would happen if he has cognitive decline after that, what he could do. And they said, well, we don't know. They don't know. They didn't know how to, to give him hope, how to tell him what he can do. And I don't want to say that these physicians were bad. I, they um, made the best out of the surgery mm -hmm. and they helped him. I don't want to say anything against them. I don't it's think anyone It's just the normal healthcare system in Germany that um, I think should be changed because they couldn't tell him anything that could help him and he's younger than me he's 23 and that's something that that shouldn't happen in germany I'm neither sorry. anywhere else I'm but especially not in germany um and after his surgery he underwent neurosurgery um and he woke up and nothing happened he hasn't any he hadn't uh, any seizure since then and there were no cognitive decline, nothing. So that was the best case scenario. It was the best case scenario, but um, he had only a chance, 20% chance for that. And it happened. So 20% chance according to his, his condition, his age, his something. According to all these things, you have an idea of what's the percentage. And, and 80%. Still 80% chance of you either keep having seizures or having cognitive decline. You consider dying, something can happen yeah. in the brain. Yeah. It could it could have uh, been that he wouldn't be able to m memorize every anything. It couldn't happen. It could happen that he uh, had seizures for now and they got worse. Um, it could happen that he had died. Mm -hmm. um, that's all possible. That's all possible. But he made it. And congratulations and hope he keeps he keeps not having anything. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, yeah, so too. Another weird question, and this is something that I actually talked with Valentino, mm -hmm. that you also know, and Martin also introduced. So once again, thank you, Martin, for the, these great introductions. Greetings to Martin. <laughs> um, one of the things that I've 
considered on my own intellectual roaming around the, the dark web of my mind. Ooh, that was that was deep. <laughs> yeah, that was very deep right now. Sorry. Um, so one of the things that I also that that I, my first question about AR and VR when I talked with him was, at one point, can you overly stimulate the brain to to provoke some underlying problems like schizophrenia or any kind of things because if we think about it AR is nothing more than hallucinations if we take out the glasses this is a very weird stupid thing but if you take out the glass and you have all those things it's hallucination if you have if you're looking at a GPS through glasses and you take out the glass and you keep seeing that it's almost an hallucination right yeah that's true so can you overly stimulate the my main question for him is can you overly stimulate the brain to provoke these things and he, his answer was there was no enough data right now for that but for that to happen usually you'll have to have an underlying problem already and overly stimulation that can not only be because of vr ar that can happen but right now there's no data that supports it mm-hmm. and usually if and if there's that's to happen it's because you already have an underlying problem I think that's a hard question, but um, let's first think about epilepsy, mm-hmm. uh, because I think most people who are hearing this first are thinking about yeah. epilepsy because of lights and so mm-hmm. and stimuli. Um, and I think if you um, are very sensitive to lights or so, it can be a problem mm-hmm. and it can cause an already underlying problem um, but I wouldn't go that far that I'm sure about that I think it's the same as with um, roller coasters and um, intense TV shows mm-hmm. um, and so I, I, I could imagine that it has more impact because retro reality like it says is more r- realistic mm-hmm. um, but as you just mentioned, schizophrenia, um, I think that's a hard one. I, I think, said schizophrenia. Um, yeah, because schizophrenia especially is normally something that um, depends on your neurochemical um, concentration in your brain. Okay, when I say schizophrenia, I see more in the hallucination part of it. I usually assume schizophrenia goes a lot to hallucinations, hearing things that are not there, seeing things that are not there imagining full worlds of living that never existed. Usually that's how I assume schizophrenia is probably I'm very wrong. That's one part of how schizophrenia can be. Um, there are people who are only hearing things. Mm-hmm. There are people who are only um, seeing things. But um, what is important about schizophrenia is um, there are, it, it comes in kind of phases. There is a, a proactive phase mm-hmm. where people are, um, or productive phase, mm-hmm. uh, where people are seeing and hearing things and um, whatsoever. What we know about uh, psychosis, so they are uh, psychotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are phases uh, full of depression, full of um, lack of motivation. They are not seeing or hearing anything. They are just um, depressed. Mm, Um, and it goes more far when people are psychotic and schizophrenia they are also um, having thoughts um, that for them seemed like someone else put these thoughts in their head Mm -hmm. and they are having um, 
kind of ideas of how things are going together that are for for a healthy person mm -hmm. completely unrealistic so it's it's really a big diagnosis and when you're telling or saying something about hallucinations it's more it's the more psychotic, psychotic part yeah. of schizophrenia okay then let's take out schizophrenia let's assume psychotic psychotic break attack yeah i just wanted to explain it a bit because uh, thank you, thank a you. lot of people are thinking that schizophrenic people are just the whole time psychotic <laughs> I, I know they are not but i usually assume that yeah you can be triggered into having a psychotic break right um i'm not sure about that okay i'm not sure about that i don't think that it, it, it gets uh, triggered by vr no I i'm not saying that, that can, i'm not saying that can be triggered by vr but can you trigger a psychotic break um by com consuming illegal drugs yeah by consuming it there is a um a connection for example between schizophrenia and marijuana 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 sí la mary jane yeah the weed <laughs> um there is a connection between that so um but there's also there are also things that are only genetic Hmm. parts of so that's that's a hard thing because it's really complicated so and going back to the, the to my original point but now using the more correct terminology of psychotic break if you're if you're treating with vr treating brains that are already in a let's say the the more aggressive state or bigger phase where you can get more inputs mm -hmm. so it's a much more i won't say unstable but sensitive brain mm -hmm. Can you overly stimulate a brain to a point of, to a fault? For example, you said when we overly stimulate, that's when we learn, that's when we memorize. Mm. But if you stay up all night studying, you will not memorize everything. That's true. So if, you're, if you are in a state of overly sensitiveness of the brain, can you overly stimulate to a fault? Um, I think you can do. If you are um, doing these exercises for two or three hours, mm -hmm. that's something um, that uh, we are thinking about. We don't want the people to do that three or four hours per day. It's just uh, you're training for 30 minutes, then relaxing for 10, 15 minutes, doing it again for 15 minutes, and that's it. Okay. So um, I think it is uh, possible to overstimulate. Well, a part of overstim overstimulation is good because um, it makes the brain working mm -hmm. faster and um, having this neuronal plasticity going on faster. Um, but of course, if you're doing it for too long, people may have headaches or they may feel dizzy or so. And that's, of course, something that we want to avoid. Okay. So in this part, I would say yes. Okay. Okay. I'm not entirely wrong. <laughs> okay. Another question. And now going more into your experience. Valentino was uh, used to work in neuropharmacology. He used to work on specific pharmacological... Uh, according to his words, were almost, I think it's were almost precisely, I worked on pills to make sure to, or to see how molecules work in your brain. Mm -hmm. It was something like this. Okay. And you went into VR. So from pharmacology, from health, mm -hmm. into a very hard, te deep tech technology deep tech technology, redundant, but very deep technology, very specific set of skills that you need to do. You and you come from a psychology background, also not a tech background. 
why VR? How did you make the switch from psychology to... I mean, you're not entirely doing a switch, but the amount of skills that you have to present are totally different from just, a, let's call it, regular psychology background student or even professional. That's Yeah, that's true. Um, I would, like you said, I wouldn't say that I switched because um, firstly, um, after Julian and me met, um, we were thinking about, I wanted to do a startup, but, and, and I had a lot of ideas and he wanted to do something. And then we found and um, yeah, get to, together and um, started. Um, and first we wanted to do an application just for smartphones with um, cognitive exercises. So cognitive training exercises. Um, and then we found out, so we wanted to make that because we were, um, we were thinking that it's necessary to make rehabilitation portable mm -hmm. um, in these times. Um, and then we were reading a lot, and I really mean a lot of papers about that. Um, and trying to figure out how to do it in the best way, because like I said, um, there are a lot of people who are doing it just for money, P things that are not working. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to make it better. Um, and then we started to do it just because of the portability with smartphones. And after reading the whole paper stuff and um, reading everything about the problems of neurorehabilitation, we came to the conclusion that it doesn't make any sense to make it on smartphones because it's for the brain. It's the same thing as um, it is using paper or pencil. Mm -hmm. um, and it's that's more portable probably or easier to use in specific situations, but it's still not working, not immersive enough. It's not working. It's you're getting better in the exercises, but you're not getting better in your everyday life. You're not. If you're doing a labyrinth, for example, um, on your smartphone, you will not get better um, in finding your way to the bakery. That won't help you. And the reason for that is that your brain is not able to um, translate, let's say translate or transfer, um, the things that you learned into, into real life, let's say, let's say like this. So. Um, whatever kind of exercise you're doing on your smartphone, your brain won't transfer it in your real life exercises, do, uh, real life situations, so. Don't transport the experience to a real life situation. Yeah, that won't help. And um, that's why we were thinking about virtual reality, because it's the only way to make sure that people are able to go to a supermarket or kind of go to a supermarket mm -hmm. and learn it in the specific situation to stimulate the brain with this specific everyday situation without um, actually bringing people to real supermarkets mm -hmm. um, because no one of us has time to bring um, his brother or sister or mother or so every day to a supermarket to make her learn. Mm -hmm. That's just not, po not possible. That would be the ideal scenario though. Yeah, that would be, if, if you would do everything um, in a motoric and cognitive way um, in the most realistic environment, that would be the perfect way of rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem there is also the overstimulation. Maybe the way to the supermarket is too long. Maybe the supermarket is completely full of people. Too many lights, too many noises, yeah. too many everything. Yeah, and that's why we came up with virtual reality because there you can adapt 
um, everything to the needs of a patient. Um, and you can just start it, do the exercise, stop and relax. And you don't need anyone. You don't need to wait for physicians or ergotherapists or um, I don't know who, neuropsychologists. You don't have to wait for them and drive to them two or three times a week. You're just at home in your living room, putting these glasses on, start, stop, that's it. And are you going to be programming the glasses so that you're sure that no one is able to overly stimulate their own brains? Do you really have like a timer? Like per day, you will not be able to use this more than 30 minutes and it's programmed? Or how are you going to protect, I won't say yourselves, but how are you going to protect the, are you going to protect the, the, the patients? We are thinking about a solution because, mm -hmm. of course, we want to protect people um, from doing that on one hand. On the other hand, um, we don't want people um, to... We don't want to um, make people not able to do what they want to do. But sometimes so it's what kind they want of to, a, Maybe it's not good for them. What they want to do is not good for them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we are trying to find um, a mid-solution, like meet us in the middle, mm -hmm. um, and find a um, possibility, of course, to protect them, but also uh, to give them the most freedom possible, mm -hmm. um, but also the most rules necessary. What's been the... So, before I ask this, you were saying that you were already thinking of doing startups, right? Yeah. What made you like this this weird world where everybody doesn't know it. Where everybody? No, sorry, it's a question. It's a song. Uh, what made you very or excited about the startup world? Um, to be honest, I didn't know a lot of the startup world before. Um, it's not like I knew a lot of people who were founders or doing mm -hmm. projects or so. Um, it was just um, right after my um, yeah my high school. Um, I talked to my dad and uh, told him, hey, I don't know what to do. I know um, that you want me to um, work anywhere or to do studies or so, but I'm not sure if I want to do that. And um, he was like, okay, so what are your plans? Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, I don't know, but um, I know I was kind of overdramatic. I was 18 or 19 and I was like, oh my God, um, I don't want this nine to five job. I don't want someone to tell me what to do. I don't want this for the next 40, 50 years of my life. I'm, I'm completely full of fear and I don't want to do that. It's just mm -hmm. not the life I'm, I, I wish for myself. Um, and I told him and he said, as I can understand, he said, um, that's okay, I can understand that. But to be honest, you need to do anything you, you need to have any a degree any degree yeah and I said okay um there were only two things I ever wanted to really wanted to do and it was medicine or psychology so um, it's always helping other people it was always um something in yeah helping people that's true it was always kind of helping people but also understand what's happening inside of people and I mean, um, with inside, I, I mean uh, the emotional, mm -hmm. but also um, the medical part, like the mm -hmm. biological part. I always wanted to understand why these things are happening, what's happening, and um, how to treat things. Um, I was always um, 
curious about the whole science about that and um, beyond that. So uh, that was always something I wanted to do. And I told them, okay, if you want me to do a degree, I can understand that. And I'm, I'm quite sure that you're right. Um, and that's why I'm, I studied psychology. But um, I knew all the time that one day I would do something on my own. I wanted something. to create something. I just, um, I couldn't imagine to have this nine to five stuff, to have um, someone telling me what to do, to be not able to just dream of something, create something, um, have ideas and get shit done. I, that was just something I always wanted to do. And um, I'm, I, now that I'm doing it, mm -hmm. I'm absolutely in love with it. It's the best feeling ever to just do what you love. I know it is. I think that's one of the things that everybody's looking for to find what. So, but you always knew that you wanted to do something. Or... Yeah. Okay. I because, always knew. Because some people might struggle figuring out if they want to do something, how they're going to do to do something. I had the same problem um, because. I knew that I wanted to do something, but I was always afraid to miss the perfect moment for it. Mm -hmm. I was always unsure. Should I do it before before I do studies, after studies? Should I first do a master a degree or should I do a master and a doctor and after that? And um, when, when I met Julian and we talked about our ideas and we found the first first uh, idea together, what we wanted to do together. Um, I was just thinking, hey, if you're not doing it now, you will maybe never again be able to do that. Because I don't know what will happen. I don't know what the future brings. Um, and that's why I was just thinking, this is the chance you have. Mm -hmm. So you have this chance right now and you always wanted to do that. And maybe you will regret it your whole life if you don't do that. So at least try. I like that. At least try. Yeah, you answered most of my questions that I had specifically for the, the transition from psychology, but apparently it was not a transition. Even you were already interested in that before you went studying. So I think that's your, I won't say one of the rare cases, but you're the case of the person that always had that thing on the back of your mind saying, yeah. nine to five doesn't work for me. It's, Never. Just, it's just so boring. I, I always had kind of, to be honest, I always had kind of problems with authorities. Mm. I always had problems with um, people doing me what I, went, what I should do um, because I was always asking them and asking myself why. Is it, I, I don't see um, that it's necessary. I don't feel like it's uh, the best solution. And a lot of people had um, discussions with me just because I said, I asked why. <laughs> why. Why do I have to do it in this way? Why not that way? Why um, can't we make it easier? I, I, I just found something, maybe let's do it this way. It mm -hmm. could be easier this way. It could be um, more efficient this way. And they were just like, no, you're just doing it like this. And it do was it in school. Know. Just do your job in school. Yeah. And um, I always had a problem with that because I never understood the, the sense beyond it. It's, it was just like the, the reason wasn't really clear for me. Um, I assume as a psychology student, you've done this or already heard. Have you ever done the, um, the 16 personality test? 
16 personality test. Yeah, it's a website that does the FMGP, the, the thing that <laughs> analyzes your your personality type. It's this, uh, is it this job uh, based thing? What people are often doing to find um, your personal personality yeah. for what kind of job you're doing? I never did it. You should check it. I think it's 16personalities.com. And I think it's like 100 questions. And I'm usually very skeptical on these things. I was very thorough filling out the form. It's a long ass form. And at the end it says, you are like, you're this, you're this personality type. And they have a, a picture. They give like a couple of letters. It's uh, something say you're FMGP. And then it says a sentence and then says famous people with these, with these traits mm -hmm. and specific things. And when I did that, I was, I was like, Ooh, okay. This is works better than expected. Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm not always a friend of that because um, it's just a normal psychological phenomenon um, that people are often thinking, oh, that looks absolutely like me. I, I understand. And it's I understand not because, because you just want to, um, you want that things are true that you read and you're searching for things that are I understand truth. your point, but the thing is, I was hoping for it to fail. I'm that skeptical. Oh, wow. Okay. I was hoping for it to fail. I've done the test three times in three different times of, the, of my life and it's always the same personality trait. And I'm pretty sure some of the questions I answer differently wow. because the, the values in the question change throughout my experience. Okay. And it was always the same thing. It's the debater. Because in, sco in school, I was always the same thing. My teacher asked them, I was like, why? But not like, do you want to do so Do this, why? No, it's, this is water and this is transparent. Why is this transparent? Is there anything, but can it be other things? I remember when we were, where, where my history teacher was teaching us, where she was teaching that when the barbarians invaded Italy, all of them, or many of them moved on to Germany. And I said, and I said, why Germany? It's a cold environment. Why don't go left and go to warmer countries? Okay, Greece went down, but why not go left onto warmer country? What the hell is going on? And she said, no, no, that happened because yes. No, but why? Why? I mean, it's untamed environment. I mean, right now we don't have any, but you'd have big predators in Europe for, for sure. What did you have? You had like small dogs protecting you. And now going on, to the, um, the lightning round. I'll ask you a couple of questions and you just have to answer in a minute or less. Okay. What's the book or books that have impacted you the most? Whoa. Um, the shortest story of time, I think, from Stephen Hawking. Um, because it made me think about all the things I don't know. Okay. Nice answer. Uh, one of my, and I will share with you, one of the, the books that I've read recently that I impacted me more than I was expecting, once again, very skeptical, was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Hmm. Sounds cool. Very interesting book. Very, it's almost a self-development, self-help book, but not necessarily. Very interesting book. Is there any tool you wouldn't be able to live without that you use on a daily basis? Hmm. I think it's my phone. Okay. Is there any life motto or any quote that you like to live by? Any quote? Quote, any saying, anything that you've heard that you just said, okay, yeah. <laughs> Nothing I really heard, just my own opinion that you can do whatever you want to do if you really want to, and you can be whoever you want to be if you really want to do, want to be that. Perfect. 
if I gave you six months to prepare for a TED talk and you couldn't do anything about life, uh, sorry, living brain, mm -hmm. what would it be about? Forensics. Forensics? Forensics, definitely. I love it. It's my uh, second passion. Oh, I was not expecting it. Well, it was a great pleasure having you here on the Pioneers Show. I really loved the conversation and really went to, through things that I never thought that existed and actually learned about the different things that I was talking about, about schizophrenia. <laughs> Got a break. It was really great pleasure having you on the Pioneers Show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for plugging into this conversation. I truly hope you love this episode as much as I did. Barbara is a great person and I really, really hope to see Living Brain pursue the mission that it has. You might have noticed, but rehabilitation is actually something I'm really passionate about. Any information that you might have missed will probably be linked up in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider subscribing to make sure that this podcast grows and we can get to more people and help everyone be the pioneers of their own lives. Another thing that you can do for me, and I will deeply, deeply appreciate it, is go onto your podcasting app, be it iTunes, Spotify, either Google Podcasts, whatever it is, and leave a rating and review because this will also help bump up the podcast on greater levels. If you enjoyed this conversation, also consider letting me know on social media once again at It's DeAndre on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as the show at Pioneers Show on Instagram as well. Well, once again, it was really, really great pleasure having you over there. Have a great time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.